0: Hello and welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today we hear from RTE Director of Co-Productions and Acquisitions Dermot Horan about the Irish broadcaster's first year under COVID-19 and the challenges and opportunities opened up. And Royal Television Society Chief Executive Theresa Wise about the effect of the pandemic on UK production, the role of TV during lockdowns and tackling inclusion. A year into the global COVID-19 pandemic, the TV industry, like every facet of our lives, continues to grapple with the fallout. RTE Director of Co-Productions and Acquisitions Dermot Horan spoke with Karolina Kaminska about how the Irish broadcaster has coped, the challenges and opportunities the situations opened up and the changing value of UK and US programming amid these dynamics.
1: Um, We're
2: now a year into the coronavirus pandemic How is that affecting things at the channel at the moment?
1: Um, I suppose like everybody else initially, uh, we had a problem with a lot of our scripted, like our soap opera having to stop, a lot of production having to stop, lifestyle programming, news and current affairs doing extraordinarily well. Um, People came back in droves to the public broadcaster, as they did all around, as a trusted voice um, and somewhere to get their information. Our radio services did really, really well. Um, And then we began to see that people wanted to de-stress. So, for example, in our radio portfolio, our classical music station, uh, started doing really, really well because people just wanted to relax and just forget about COVID. And I think what we've seen now is people still want us to make uh, really good news and current affairs. They want documentaries in the top ICUs and in, in the hospitals. They want to see what's going on. But then with our other programming, they don't want it to be COVID orientated. They want to truly escape. So they want more drama. They want more entertainment. I, I suppose of the formats, DIY SOS did really, really well because I think it just suits the kind of life that we're living. I think in Ireland, 14% of people are now doing voluntary work that weren't doing voluntary work before. I think people have much more of a sense of community. We've even seen in social media, a lot of social media now is is not about personalities it's actually about what's going on in your local area and how can you help and you know be it either helping a, an older person get their groceries or help clear up the streets or whatever there's there's a lot of that going on and i, and I think programs that feed into that are working really well but actually programs that remind you of covid not news actually are beginning to deteriorate in terms of rating
2: is there anything else on that subject that um that audiences are demanding at the moment
1: I don't think so. I I think they are saying to us that, you know, we are giving them more than enough information between television, radio, and the web on what's happening with the virus. And so what they're now saying is we want more escapism. We want more drama. And and hence, you know, hopefully this year that we will find some some drama which doesn't feature people in masks at social distance. I I think people don't necessarily want that. Soap operas have to do that. So our own home-produced soap opera, Fair City, and obviously EastEnders... You know, and curry they reflect a COVID world because soap operas, you know, tend to to feature the now. But I think when it comes to to, to high end drama, uh, which hopefully will have a long tail, well beyond COVID, people aren't looking for people in masks. They're not looking for that. They're looking for something more back in the what was what was described as normal.
2: And are you facing any issues in the schedule at the moment arising from delayed productions, either at home or abroad?
1: Uh, Yes, Uh, there has been a delay in production coming out of the US. I think California, where they produce a huge amount of the US network shows, and indeed the cable shows, has been very badly affected by COVID. So there has been certainly a delay there. The the British and most of continental Europe and Ireland have got back into production quite well. I think in the first lockdown, uh, everything stopped, but the good thing is that under the current lockdown and and indeed under the current lockdown in the uk and most of europe you can continue to produce television content uh, under those most extreme lockdown restrictions and so we're now beginning to see a dramas coming through so so we have a drama starting called smother a um co-production with treasure entertainment from ireland and bbc studios set in the west of ireland that show had to be stopped halfway through its initial filming because of COVID. Uh, but then thankfully, as I say, when the government, that went back into production. So it was delayed a bit, but they managed to pick up time. And now you know, that, that'll that be going out. So that, that's really good news. And we have another drama. We literally just about finished another crime drama in Dublin. And, and we're starting another one, which is going to be in both Belgium and Ireland. So we're back in production. There have been delays, but we're back in production. And in terms of the UK, thankfully, they seem to be back in production I was at BBC showcase online and yeah there were things that should have been delivered in February that are now delivering in April and May but that's not so bad I mean that you know there's a bit of a lag but thankfully it seems that high-end production is, is back in in many ways it's it's the non-scripted which is actually more problematic because you know if you're doing non-scripted you, know, you can see it from ITV and love Island or you can see it in you know shows doing up houses whatever if if people aren't allowed to be out and about you know doing up houses going into shops because shops are closed you can't actually 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 film those shows whereas actually a high-end scripted drama the whole thing is fiction so you can actually create your fiction so bizarrely even though it's taken a while fiction is actually more robust than non-fiction at the moment.
2: What have you been doing to get around delays in production? How have you been filling gaps in your schedules? Have you been picking up more library content or anything like that?
1: Certainly we have looked beyond the two most obvious English-speaking territories which is the US and the UK so we've picked up a Couple of Australian dramas, The Secret She Keeps uh, and Secret Bridesmaids Business. Both of those shows we've actually put into the schedule and both of them performed every bit as well as a UK or a US show. So I, I think what that has taught us is that countries like Australia and New Zealand are now producing drama of the same calibre and quality as, as anything coming out of the UK and the US and we can continue to go there. And the good thing about those countries, as we're all aware, is they are largely COVID free and they, they can continue to produce. In, in volume. Indeed, a lot of American shows set in America are being shot in Australia at the moment and, and New Zealand for that reason. But actually, these are shows that were genuinely set in Australia with Australian characters, and, and they did really well. So, you know, um, really, really pleased. And then the other thing is, as I said, you know, with stuff coming out of the UK, because the UK produces dramas in small batches, you know, often written by one writer or whatever, so they come in batches of threes, fours, sixes. They're very useful because if you have delays in your own domestic production, you might only have a delay of four weeks or six weeks. You won't have the space for a 22-part American show, but you may well have the space for a six-part or a four-part UK show. So, so that's actually proving very useful, I think, for UK distributors.
2: What sort of demand are you seeing currently for UK content in Ireland, both for finished programmes and formats for adaptation? And how has it or is it changing?
1: There's definitely always been a market for formats because we can customise them as Irish. Now, we did didn't do Dancing with the Stars in, in the last year uh, because, quite frankly, the venue where we were going to film it, and we've done several of it, which have been really successful, uh, would have just been a breeding ground for COVID. So it just wasn't as big as, as where they filmed the, the BBC version. So we, we, we stood that down. But we have done DIY SOS. Uh, we're doing Ultimate Hell Week. So, you know, we're doing a number of British formats. And... Once you put an Irish skin on them with Irish, you know, competitors and Irish contestants, you know, it, it, it is very much perceived as being Irish. Whilst at the same time, we're, we're very kind of cognizant of the fact we also need to promote Irish rats and promote Irish producers, so... Uh, we are, um, we've had great success with a thing called Ireland's fittest family, which we've been able to shoot in COVID because it's, it, the families are a family bubble. And then, you know, they do kind of assault courses and all that kind of stuff, but they're, they're as a family, so they can touch each other and hug each other and all that kind of stuff. And we sold that into Germany and Sweden recently. So so that, that's a great format, and it's a COVID-friendly format. And in terms of Finnish product, um, there is always the slight complication that the majority of people in Ireland can receive British channels the main uh, And so we're not dissimilar to, say, Austria, where the majority of people in Austria can receive German TV or the people in French-speaking Belgium who can receive you know, French TV. So, um, you know, we do a lot of science around, you know, what days do those programmes play in the UK? What were we playing against them? So if it was on a night when RTE was very strong then we're very happy to pick up a show. So a good example of that would be Deadwater Fell, the Channel 4 drama with with David Tennant. Channel 4 put that out on a Friday night. Now, on a Friday night, we have a show called The Late Late Show that gets a 45% share for two hours, big entertainment show. So anything that goes out on UK channels on a Friday night, we can generally, you know, take a look at it. And if we like it, we know it, it has the capacity to perform very well because the majority of people won't have seen it. But there are other shows that maybe go out on nights when we're weaker. And then we just need to take a view that, you know, We're going to buy it, but a percentage of people will already have had the chance to see it already. I suppose in terms of the London screenings and this year, where there possibly is more of an appetite for British and not just British, but Canadian, Australia and New Zealand programming is because the Americans have gotten behind in their production schedules. So, you know, we've had to wait for some of the shows that we normally have coming through from the States. They've been delayed. Or if they haven't been delayed, their rollout of their series has been slower than usual. And the number of episodes that they're, they're producing would be less than usual. So that actually leaves holes. And those holes can be four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. So actually, in many ways, that suits, you know, the likes of British and Australian programming because it does come in those batches, you know, fours and sixes and eights. So, so definitely there is there is an appetite.
2: You mentioned Deadwater Fell there. Are there any other UK shows or, or formats from the UK
1: that you've had success with in the recent past? Yes, yes. Uh, We ran a quiz recently, the three-parter directed by Stephen Frears, you know, with Matthew McFadgen and uh, Michael Sheen. And that did really well for us. Um, That was on ITV, which actually, ITV is the channel that has the least amount of coverage in Ireland. You know, there's more coverage for BBC and Channel 4. uh, And that did very well for us. So we we were very pleased with that. And then we have bought a number of shows that will be going out. So I have, you know, I pre-bought Bloodlands, the... Jimmy Nesbitt drama from Hattrick that's um you know going out on the BBC at the moment uh, to great success on BBC1 on Sunday nights and um you know we'll have more series of Peaky Blinders coming through line of duty uh, I've also bought uh, box sets of Line of Duty for the RT player. So not only are we buying brand new British series, we're also looking to see what series are there that maybe are still running, but they're, you know, they're earlier that we can put on the RT player. So not, not dissimilar to, again, what the BBC iPlayer are doing with that show as well.
2: And you also mentioned US content earlier. In addition to to the slowdown in production because of COVID, um, drama in particular from the US is becoming um, increasingly unavailable <laughs> due to major US studios holding back content for their own streaming platforms. Do you think, um, taking those two things into account, that UK drama is becoming a replacement for US drama?
1: Um, it's not necessarily being a replacement. They're, they're, they're quite different. But I think what was happening anyway was that a lot of US drama wasn't actually landing as well as it was in the past. So the days of European broadcasters putting in 22-part US network crime procedural shows into their schedule in prime time have a lot gone, except in you know cable channels like you know, Sky Witness. But those days have gone. So I think what we're... We're more interested in when it comes to the States is shorter running high profile shows like Homeland or, um, you know, Handmaid's Tale. Thankfully, we're still able to get quite a lot of those shows. They, they haven't gone to the likes of HBO Max, which actually isn't available in the UK and Ireland for the moment anyway, because of the Sky deal. We've also been used to the fact that quite a lot of American programming in recent years hasn't been available to us. So, for example, the the Sky deal with HBO, the Sky deal with Showtime has meant that some of the best stuff from the US, you know, hasn't been available in recent years anyway, because Sky, Sky have a volume deal around those series. So we've been used to kind of working around what's available. I mean, Netflix is obviously is doing very well, but largely due to its originals. So Netflix is spending less time actually acquiring uh, and more time commissioning. So, you know, that's not necessarily depriving us of content. Then I suppose Disney would be a case in point where particularly with movies that they're they're holding those for disney plus so yeah i mean it's getting more complicated that does give british content uh, an opportunity but if you look at the london screenings you won't just see british programming it's called the london screenings but you will see a lot of european programming so the likes of Fremantle will be showing you know they'll be showing dramas from all across Europe, from Germany, from Scandinavia. So it, it's not, and there'll be Australian dramas there as well. Um, so it's, it's not, it just happens to be called the London Screenings because it gave distributors an opportunity when there were hundreds of buyers in Liverpool for BBC shows to come down to, to London. And, and it piggybacked on that. But those distributors will, will be showing content from all around the world.
2: What sort of programmes are you looking
1: for? I suppose what we're looking for is shorter run series, which seem to be working better for us so four-parters, six-parters, eight-parters, uh, we're looking for dramas that can cut through, that, that can be, become a talking point. So I think in recent years, if I look at the dramas, it hasn't just been about ratings and overnights. It's been about, you know, talkability uh, and about the, the resonance of those shows on the RT player as well. So just, you know, just like the BBC player and lots of other broadcasters players are becoming increasingly important particularly when it comes to scripted the same applies to the rt player so you know i look in in recent years things Mm -hmm. like you know normal people which did extraordinary business for us on linear but but broke all records on the rt player and continues to be watched on the rt player and then we had very decent success recently with the secret she keeps the australian drama series but it did uh, a lead british actor in laura carmichael but 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 it was a fully australian drama series We've done well recently with another Australian drama series called Secret Bridesmaids Business, which we bought from Cachette. So, it, you know, we're kind of looking for, yeah, for dramas and indeed comedies, half our comedies, but more, shall we say, dramedies, less sitcom, more half our, you know, dramedies that, that will stand out, that have recognisable stars in them, that have talkability. And, you know, the, the British have been pretty good uh, you know, about that in recent years.
2: Is there anything that you're definitely not looking for? Is there something that doesn't really work on RTE?
1: Yeah, RTE and indeed Ireland in general doesn't seem to like anything to do with sci-fi, paranormal, the occult, anything that takes you out of the real. Um now, of course, there will be people who will watch that, but they tend to be in multi-channel land, they tend to have subscriptions to, you know, to various SVODs, and they can get their sci fix there. But if there's something about the Irish The Irish have a sense of, maybe it's the size of our country, we're small, we like dramas about relationships and about family. And we don't like people to have special powers because that takes away the jeopardy. So, you know, somebody's in, 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 a, in a situation where they're in peril. We don't want them to be able to secretly or, or with, with magic escape. We, we want them to be in real jeopardy. And so real family drama, real human drama is something that really works for us. And anything that takes you out of that normal is an issue for us.
2: That RTE, what are your key aims and objectives for the next year?
1: Key aims and objectives, I suppose, would be to maintain our linear share whilst at the same time growing our uh, audience on The RT Player. The RT Player has actually, partly due to COVID, found new audiences because, you know, people during lockdowns were, again, craving for escapist content. A lot of that is either contemporary scripted drama or, or, you know, library series and nostalgia. Um, So, you know, we've had good success even, you know, running series like The West Wing, running series like The Good Wife, Seinfeld, Frasier. You know, these remind people of a time pre-COVID when, you know, life was a little bit more innocent and we could, travel and shake hands and hug each other but also I think as people were stuck at home and weren't going out to restaurants weren't going to the theatre weren't going out playing sport they had more screen time available to them and you know they would watch Netflix of course but there would be a time when they'd say I think I've seen everything on Netflix that I want to see and then they would just like in the UK they've come to the BBC iPlayer they have come to the RT player in big numbers and what we want to try and do this year is capitalise on that and try and keep those people on the RT player and watching more content on the RT player.
2: And do you have plans to cover any of the sporting events this summer? Obviously, we've got the Euros and the Olympics and so on. Um, So does RTE cover any of those?
1: Yeah, this summer, as things stand, we will be covering the Euros um, in their entirety, exclusively on RTE and also the Olympic Games um, uh, if they take place. And uh, that will make this year a very expensive year because last year we had them in the schedule. They got dropped. Obviously, we we suffered commercial fall in revenue because we're dual funded were license fee and commercial revenue. And, uh, you know, we had a big drop in commercial revenue, particularly during the first. Uh, but then we saved uh, money because those big events didn't take place. Uh, those events are due to go back in the schedule. They'll, they'll be very good for ratings. The Euros in particular, you know, it, it, it's always a really strong football event. There's some great games, very, very high standard. The Olympics is one of those ones that tends to go, I know Discovery have their big deal, but it tends to go to public broadcasters because, You actually never know how the Irish athletes are going to do. Big countries like Britain and America will always have a number of strong swimmers in week one and athletes in week two who will do well. We're trying to find that elusive show jumper or, you, you know, who, who's going to win a bronze or a silver for Ireland. So, you know, it's 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 an expensive event to cover because you're you're taking in loads and loads of feeds of all sorts of different sports, trying to find the Irish who are competing and trying to find those who are, you know, tr- you know, obviously going for a medal. So, you know, fingers crossed, those two will go ahead. Uh, They'll be very good for ratings, but they will bring a lot of expense into the schedule this year as well.
2: If they do get cancelled again, what would your backup plan be? Because obviously they take up a lot of the schedule.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, they tend to go out in our second channel we, we because our second RT2 has the capacity to to drop large amounts of the schedule to fill in for sport, like the Olympic Games, which can be on for 12 consecutive hours. We can't do that with RT1 because obviously you've got key news and current affairs and certain junctions you have to make as a public broadcaster. So, you know, on the second channel, you know, if that, if that doesn't happen, you you look to what you put in those slots in a year when you don't have big sport. Um, Because you do tend to normally, if the big sport comes in the even years, like 20, 22, 24. Um, this year, obviously, it's 21 because of the delay. So you look at what would you run in in in, in a year when you wouldn't have had speed, and it would have been more dramas um, and and more movies as well. I mean, we we would buy you know library movies from the Hollywood studios, and we would buy you know more dramas. So if if there's a likelihood that either of those events are cancelled, I have to say the football probably won't because we've seen Premiership football actually going ahead in Europe, you know, quite successfully. Um, so without crowds, so. I think it's more likely that that would go ahead, but, but in that event, you'd be looking at, you know, more, uh, acquired content, uh, and probably again, therein would lie an opportunity for British and international distributors.
2: As we progress through 2021, what do you see as being the biggest challenges and opportunities over the next year?
1: I suppose challenges for buyers will be if more and more content goes directly to the consumer, uh, on a vertically integrated pod service like the likes of Disney, um, so that's probably the, the single biggest challenge. Opportunities are that the world is a smaller place now. There seems to be more collaboration. I'm also a vice chair of the EBU TV committee and you know we're seeing more alliances taking place among public broadcasters in Europe. You, you can see the alliance between France Television, ZDF in Germany and Rye in Italy, co-producing dramas like Leonardo and Around the World in 80 Days. You can see in, in the Nordic regions, Nordic Scandinavian region, they have at the Nordic 12. So I think you're going to see probably more collaboration um among public broadcasters because particularly scripted drama isn't getting any cheaper. Um, it's getting more expensive to produce. And part of that is the esthods going into territories and buying up talent and and paying higher prices to to get that premium talent around their shows, putting pressure on the the industry as a whole. So I think um you know collaboration is a key thing internationally and particularly among Europeans.
0: Dermot Horan from RTE speaking with Carolina Kaminska. The UK's Royal Television Society Programming Awards took place virtually earlier this week with a diverse range of shows and talent winning, including Michaela Coel's I May Destroy You, Mae Martin for Channel 4 and Netflix's Feel Good and the BBC's In My Skin. The organisation continues to work towards improving inclusion within the industry but Chief Executive Theresa Wise told Ruth Laws it needs to do more and also discussed the effects of the pandemic on production and the role of TV during lockdowns.
3: What effect has the pandemic had on the UK TV production industry?
4: So the pandemic has had a a huge effect on the UK TV production industry, as it has for all industries, really, across the board. So I think it's safe to say that without any argument, really, that pandemics had a huge, been a huge challenge for all industries. And looking at the UK TV production industry in particular, I think the the largest negative impact has been felt by freelancers. Clearly, um, many months of 2020 they really weren't able to work as production shut down and um, they were they were between the cracks of the various schemes presented. So many of them went through extremely hard times and there have been some really good initiatives throughout the industry to, to support them. So uh, but nevertheless it's been very very tough for those individuals. And for production in general there were unique challenges depending on the genre. So as we know news kept going throughout the pandemic and was a, really an, an essential service, but they needed to learn COVID safe ways to do it. And then we've seen other uh, productions return as the restrictions started to ease last year. And finding ways to do that was a a creditable endeavour. But some genres have clearly found it easier than others. So where you've got uh, most scripted able to return with some predictable and strict ways of, of managing it. And some of the bigger Shiny floor shows, for example, which involve a lot of audience participation, were definitely been been more challenged. Or shows that required um, other um, international locations, like Love Island and so forth. There's also one of the other aspects of, of the pandemic is that the COVID-safe protocols has led to an across-the-board increase in costs of anything from fifteen to thirty percent. Um, having said that, it's 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 obviously very well worth doing and has been done very ingeniously. But nevertheless, that, that has meant that, um, that the average cost per production has, has gone up. And um, I think the other thing really to note is that the pandemic, from a, a viewer point of view, has highlighted the most incredibly important role that television plays. So right at the beginning, it became the chief source of news for everybody. And we saw that from the viewing figures. But it also became the chief source of entertainment in the absence of people able to, to do many of the things that they would normally go out and enjoy enjoy doing and so entertainment escapism um, feelings of connectedness with the wider world especially for people that were shielding or elderly that was a a very important social connection so I think it really the pandemic totally highlighted the importance of television and public service broadcasting as well as the 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 other services uh, around that that we're lucky enough to have and I also want to to really praise the the ingenuity that was brought to bear to keep shows on air so talked about news but other things such as sport there was extraordinary um, innovation uh, that came to the fore to keep our enjoyment of sport going once that returned an um, animation that could be done remotely that could go on even through the pandemic and some really clever work around the reality formats such as Strictly, Great British Bake Off and, and I'm a Celebrity um, shot in Wales. Commercially there's also uh, rather different uh, different outcomes and experiences. So we knew that advertising revenues were really challenged, particularly in the first lockdown last year. But there are lots and lots of signs, even before we knew about the vaccination, that this is this is coming back and. By the same token, streaming revenues grew immensely as people knew that television was a main source of of entertainment, and people wanted more, perhaps more variety, or to access some of the great the great um, shows that are on the streaming services as well. And I think we've we've got the result now that the TV industry in the UK is even busier and thinking more creatively than ever. So you would never choose to have a pandemic for any reason, but we've certainly emphasised the importance. Of of television and the demand for some of the great the great output that we have
3: you mentioned uh, um that certain shows like the great british bake-off had been extremely innovative i just wondered if you had any sort of specific examples of particular things that shows did that you were aware of at all sort of around filming and during the pandemic well i was particularly struck
4: as a as an avid sports viewer by the how the crowd noise was brought to bear so that was quite amazing it was it was interesting to hear it without the crowd noise, as, as so you could hear the players and, and the referee and the managers saying in, in football. But it was also extraordinary how, as an alive scenario, they could still get that Stadium full of fans feel to it and generate the excitement. And Formula One was also extraordinary. And I guess that relies on audience slightly less anyway. But the 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 lengths that the sport went to to make it into uh, one of the most exciting experiences of the year. So those those are the things that, that. Really struck
3: me with Boris Johnson's latest announcement, which suggests that restrictions will be over um, by the summer in the UK. Um, what does that mean for the TV production industry here?
4: So the fact that restrictions will be will be largely over by the summer, all being well for the production industry, um, is is a goal. Oh, a really great thing, but I think there'll still be some things that are super important in the industry. So I would imagine COVID safety rules will remain really important going forward over the next months, maybe, maybe year, partly because companies need to show great stewardship and professionalism in their approach to this, and also probably as a condition of some of the insurance uh, that, that we've now got in the industry. So those safety rules will be super important because even though restrictions will be lifting, we won't be a zero COVID situation so those those things will be really really crucial and also for people to feel secure and looked after and I also think all the positives that we spoke about in the the previous question will continue into the summer and, and be augmented by the benefits of the vaccination program so for example sports stadiums will welcome back fans we can expect studio audiences to return for shiny floor shows and some of the established shows that weren't able to film can come back so we're looking forward to Britain's Got Talent and and some of those shows which involve a lot of auditions and and participation by the by the public so and and the other the other good thing I think is that when lockdown happened the industry focused much more on development last year as they weren't able to to film some of the some of the shows so we've now get in a situation where some of those ideas in development will hopefully come to fruition and get green lit
3: and do you think that the role of television um will change? As you said, it's been hugely important for viewers at the moment as a source of comfort and entertainment. Do you think that will continue to be the case once lockdown is over?
4: I think that television continues to be very, very important. So as as we spoke about before, the this, as a source of information and escapism and entertainment. But uh, the other thing I think is it's a very important counter to some of the disinformation and misinformation that we see about the vaccination programme as it continues to roll out. So television as a source of trusted information in that regard is, is increasingly
3: important, I think. There have been reports in the press that young people in the UK have been overwhelmingly choosing safe careers due to the- the pandemic. What could this mean for the TV industry if more people than ever feel like it's not a viable or safe career option? I
4: think that the fact that young people might be choosing the traditional and safe careers is, if we didn't already need it, an even more important call to arms for the industry. So historically, TV was such a desirable place to work people and it's always been hard for people to get into it from whatever background if you like it was seen as a, a bit of a trophy career in lots of ways and maybe that's made the industry a little bit complacent and um and maybe because it was so hard to get into the industry didn't really try as hard as it might to make it accessible to people so um what that's meant is that over the last maybe tw- 20 years or more that people starting out in television have had to make huge sacrifices as entry level that they really shouldn't have had to make so a a bad example of that is is having to do free internships or um, another another aspect is have to go freelance really early in in your career depending on which career path in television you're pursuing and that's even before you're established so um, or before you've got a, a freelancer structure and that takes away a career path really for, for many people so I, I do think this this makes it even more incumbent on the industry to think about how the onboarding aspect needs to be made more secure and accessible for young people and to a wider section of the population instead of just the people who could afford to do free internships and uh, it's, it's also a really important social part of what the industry needs to do in its role of representing the whole of the uk over the last few years i think one of the of some some coverage that broadcasters made prior to say the Brexit referendum or the recent election was that they missed a large part of what the country was thinking and feeling and it feels as if a large part of the commissioning and the ways and the tone was set a little bit by, by London when in fact a large part of the political movement was happening outside the capital. So it's a crucial part of, of the industry representing who we are, that the industry recruits from a wider selection of, of backgrounds and geographies.
3: Is there anything else that can be done to get new entrants into the industry from underrepresented groups? You mentioned sort of unpaid internships. Do you think they should be completely eliminated?
4: The RTS feels very strongly that there's no place for unpaid internships in, in our industry. I think it's not It could be legitimately a small and limited part of a degree course or or a further education course but within the context of having a, a structure, not as a sort of something where you're, you're, you're twisting in the wind a little bit as a new entrant. So we're very clear on that. And uh, we also think that there is more that can and should be done for underrepresented groups. But we also appreciate that it's not easy for, for many of our medium-sized and smaller organisations and production companies. So if you are one of the larger players in the industry with your own big HR, or talent team, and you have your own policies about widening participation. So the skies and BBCs of this world can address this to some extent, because they are big enough to to implement those. But if you're smaller than that, then often you won't have that level of overhead that you can afford. So I think for smaller organisations and production companies, the way that one can help to get new new entrants from underrepresented groups into the industry is actually to form partnerships. And in fact that's partly what the the Royal Television Society Bursary Scholarship Scheme does. So we we launched seven years ago and our scholarship bursary schemes are aimed at giving financial and mentoring help to young people from lower income backgrounds uh, throughout their degree or further education courses so we give them a cash sum but we also we also provide a lot of stewardship and we and we pro- match them up with mentors and then once they've graduated we also keep in touch with them and support them into the industry and we're we're thrilled because we now have over 200 young people who've graduated from the scheme and we've got a great representation from all around the country and they happen to be 40 percent black and minority ethnic because that's what you would expect from a low income skew of that of that number but they're also importantly 60 percent who are not black and minority ethnic but they're certainly not privileged and and they're from all over the country and we're getting enthusiastic nibbles or um hirings from from the industry and a lot of and some lovely financial support from all three media and stv and so forth to help do the scheme so we're 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 there to provide a pool of people that help widen representation in the industry so those those are some of the things and then we also come across a lot of issues with less affluent young people and practical things about getting started so the costs of getting to a location for example and um how do you how do you work near a home if you're not in London or if the job is in London how on earth do you get to London and, and live in London while you've got a temporary uh, contract there so I think there we, we start I think we're starting to join up better as an industry but there's lots of work to do still
3: what is TV's social responsibility both off and on screen um, and is it good enough and if not what more can be done so
4: t- television is a very responsive medium so and that's got some some terrific pluses to it. So we've seen in the past year that there's been a lot of very positive focus on um, issues about sustainability, uh, um, issues on race, and partly sparked by the Black Lives Matter movement. And there's also been quite a lot of talk about out of the capital and across the UK representation. So these are areas where there have been some, some great progress, um, always areas where television could do more. And I think it's super important that television doesn't just respond to the issues of the day, but is able to sustain that that energy around those those areas, so that we haven't just done a one shot wonder, because that's when real change happens. Is when it's a, it's a sustained effort, if you like. And um uh, so I, I think I think television is really really good though at this social engagement when it when it turns its attention to an area which I do see um, needs a lot more work and uh, is is representation on and off screen of um, disability. And there, so there's I think a lot of people identify as having a disability a large proportion I think maybe as high as 20% of the population and we've got a very very small minority on and off screen that actually identify as as having some disability so I see that as an area which really needs a little bit more effort.
3: And what initiatives are the RTS currently working on?
4: So the RTS
3: continues
4: to take a massive pride in its bursary scholarship schemes both for production and technology but in terms of of other areas, we were particularly proud that we managed to pivot Nearly all our activities online during the pandemic, and kept all our awards and events going. So we found ways of, of doing that, and and some of that has been very successful. So um, so we've learned a lot of things that we'll hold on to post pandemic. So some of the and um, we're also looking forward to working with further partners on how to support apprentices as well as widening the talent pool. And the other things that we're we're totally thrilled that during the pandemic we've had lots and lots of screenings and Q&As, providing a platform for shows that have been launching writing and and front of screen talent. So that's something that, again, we intend to, to continue. So some of those initiatives which have been perhaps founded out of necessity, we imagine as, as the RTS we will, we will continue, as well as all the normal things that we do around fielding senior leaders in our big conventions and holding panel discussions on policy and technology and, and strategy issues in the industry.
0: Theresa Wise from the Royal Television Society, speaking with Ruth Laws. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast next week. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 Online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.